Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And the disciples replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and, well, still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days, rise again. Jesus spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human ones. And then Jesus called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, they will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, (laughs) some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come in power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back when I was in youth group, a few years ago, one of, it depends on how old you think I am, how much that laughter is for. It's pretty good. When I was back in high school, we're talking a couple decades, one of the big annual events was something called 30-hour famine, a fundraising program for World Vision and it was meant to raise awareness around world hunger. Now, what 30-hour famine looked like for us as a youth group, I was an all-nighter at the church building. We'd go without food for 30 hours, snacks sometimes still counted. We'd play games, we'd watch movies in the sanctuary at 2 a.m., 
and we'd have fun. All in the name of experiencing what it's like for others to go without food. The popularity of this event has decreased in the past two decades, partly because of criticism that 30-hour famine pretended at suffering. A bunch of well-off kids pretend to go without and walk away from the event thinking they've tasted something of someone else's suffering. They have a sense of what it's like to go without. We had fun. We raised some money for a good organization, and our lives didn't change much. It was well-intended, but not particularly helpful beyond the money we raised, not particularly transformative. We wanted to help out suffering people by pretending to experience their suffering. This portion of Mark, this portion of Mark is too rich for any one sermon to do it justice. It's, it is too rich for a year of sermons. All of our lives try to unpack the richness of this text, how we follow Jesus and why we follow him. Our lives are sermons on this text, each of us. But as I wrestled with it this week, I kept coming back to this, this image, this central tension or struggle in it of the relationship with suffering, the resistance to suffering between Peter and Jesus, between Jesus and his disciples, and because Jesus is still speaking to us, between Jesus and us. <laughs> At the heart of this passage are two central questions. Who is Jesus? And what does it mean to follow him? When Jesus asks his disciples outright, um, you know, that's what they say, but who do you say I am? Peter gets the question right. He makes a public profession of faith right there and then. He knows the right answer. You are the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. And, and Peter gets it until he doesn't get it anymore. Because when Jesus starts to unpack what that means for him, suffering, betrayal, death, Peter pulls Jesus aside to school him on just what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. That, that rebuke, the only time that Mark uses it is when Jesus is shutting down demons and when Peter tries to shut down Jesus for Jesus just to turn around and shut him back down. There is strength in that word rebuke. Peter usurps the role of learner and tries to teach Jesus about who he is. At work behind this tension, 
this image of Peter's Messiah and Jesus' description of himself as the Son of Man is an image from Hebrew scriptures. The prophet Daniel, specifically, that points to the Son of Man, the anointed one of God, who would come to rescue God's people, his righteous people, from oppression and suffering. The prophet Daniel has a vision, and he describes this figure with all kinds of power. This is, this is what Daniel sees. I looked up, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, and he was given authority, glory, power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him, and his dominion is an everlasting one. It will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. For Peter, who knows his scriptures, who knows the power that Jesus has exhibited, who's been following him around, this is who Jesus is. This is who Peter needs Jesus to be. The son of man knew that God's people suffered, but the Son of Man didn't suffer himself. All that power, that authority, that might is meant for rescue and saving people from the suffering that they're experiencing. All of that was so he could save others. Peter resists the idea of suffering as being part of the two central questions raised here. Who is Jesus? And what does it mean to follow him? We can't really blame him. We do the same thing. If, if we were to have a pop quiz as you came into this morning, before knowing that we're going to talk about suffering, that might have primed you for a different answer. But if I were to have given you a theological pop quiz on your way in, and the quiz just had two questions, who is Jesus, and what does it mean to follow him, I'd wager that we would probably all include the cross and suffering in our answer to the first question, who's, who's Jesus. But we probably wouldn't be so quick to add suffering into our answer for the second one. Because if we're honest, our, our functional theology, what we live out around suffering, it can really boil down to Jesus suffered on the cross, so we don't have to. We may not resist the suffering Messiah like Peter, but we sure do when it comes to our own lives. But Jesus doesn't let us do that. Jesus places suffering at the heart of his answer to both these questions, these questions of faith and discipleship, 
and what it means to live out this gift of baptism. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of Man who suffers many things and is rejected, killed, and rises after three days. And what does it mean to follow him? In Jesus' own words, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and then follow me. The son of man, according to Daniel, (laughs) descended from heaven clothed in power and might to save his people from whatever was currently afflicting them, to rescue them from their current suffering. But the son of man, according to Jesus, descended from heaven clothed in flesh and vulnerability and experienced the suffering of his people so that he might save them, not just from their current circumstances, but to save them in body and soul. The Son of Man, according to Jesus, did not come to save us from suffering in this moment, but came to send us deeper into it. A few years back, a small group of us from this congregation, a group of teens and leaders, traveled the far distance to a city called Toronto. I still say that like an American, I keep the T in there, I apologize. Toronto. To learn about urban ministry. And rather than being the well-off kids who go to help out those poor street folk to pretend to experience the suffering of others. We were immersed in an intense and eye-opening and heartbreaking week of learning about all the ways that people find themselves homeless, that people find themselves on the street. No one chooses it. We spent our time listening to people tell their stories of addiction and of sex trafficking. We heard from kids, teens, and young adults who were kicked out of their home because they came out to their families and they weren't welcome anymore. We sat with people as they shared their struggles with mental health or shared deep trauma in their past. we were invited to listen deeply to the suffering of others. And if that was all that we had, that alone was transformative. But that would have broken us too. Their stories were hard. They were heavy. And we didn't know what to do with them. 
But in that week, we were also witnesses to the work of those who have followed Jesus into the streets of Toronto, who deny themselves, who've taken up their cross, and who bear the weight of that suffering with others, who walk alongside them, supporting them and loving them and serving them. A good portion of our time was spent in a tiny storefront in Parkdale where we followed around a bunch of brown-cloaked Franciscan monks. They serve up delicious meals twice a day, every day, along with conversation to the chronically homeless, to sex workers, to the addicted, and to all the hurting who pass through the doors of their little storefront. There were the regulars that the monks could greet by name, and then there were always new faces with a new story, a new heartbreak, a new need. And these monks would pray for and laugh with and fill the empty bellies of every person who sat down at their table. And I gotta tell you folks, I have never seen a better image of what Lord's Supper is meant to be than when I was there with them. A table of grace set for the hurting and the suffering with promises of support, encouragement, nourishment, and grace. Every person who walked through there and sat down with one of us or with one of these Franciscan monks knew they didn't suffer alone. Now we left that week. We packed back into cars and drove back processing our experience. And we left with no illusion of having saved anyone. <laughs> our week there killed any sense that we were Jesus-like saviors or that we could pretend the suffering of the people we met. We left knowing the cost of bearing with the suffering of others, of not looking away, of not flinching, but running toward it. How hard it is, how needed it is, how grace-filled it can be. One of the small groups out of Dive Into Doctrine captures this in their report. It's in response to a part of the report that's just generally about how we are together as a community. Not any particular issue, but just how we are as a church. And the question that they were answering in this particular piece was, what are the main issues for us as a congregation, and how do we move forward? And this group, group number three, gave us this guiding principle. Compassion means we suffer with each other and walk with one another in grace. Community means that we cannot let someone suffer alone or see it as their problem. 
right now, it is easy to be overwhelmed by the needs and sufferings around us. Not just in our own families, in our own church, in our own community, but the news and social media just keep giving us story after story of heartbreak and suffering and need and loss. And, and that can keep us focused on whatever is dominating the headlines at that time. And it gives us just long enough before the headline changes and another suffering story comes our way. It gives us just enough time to maybe change our social media profile pic to include a banner about the current difficulty. Or to weigh in in someone's comment thread to share our view and our opinion. But rarely does it actually give us that news cycle, that social media churning, give us a chance to actually move from just having an opinion or putting up a billboard to actually move to action. Where we don't just know where we stand on an issue, but we're actually brought into relationship with one who is suffering. And that is a recipe for pretending to experience the suffering of others while never actually having to do the hard work of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and walking into another person's suffering. So as a disciple of Jesus, of one who belongs to the called and beloved body of Christ, baptized in these waters of grace, How has Jesus called you to take up your cross, to deny yourself, and follow him? Where has Jesus led you in this path of discipleship, and where might he be leading you? What breaks your heart in the world around you? Who is Jesus pointing out to you in your everyday life? Nudging you to ensure that someone, someone around you doesn't have to suffer alone. Each of our lives, each of our paths of discipleship is a sermon on this text of who Jesus is for us and what it means to follow him. Our lives preach, helping other people understand who Jesus is oh, and what it means to follow him. On a day like today, a day of baptisms and profession of faith, it is our hope as the people of God that Joey and Tyler and Charlie Grow up into followers of Jesus who do not run away from suffering, but are drawn to be with others in theirs. Children of God who grow up, who know the reflexes of denying themselves, taking up their cross, and following their Lord and Savior. And for Trevor and Natasha, for Sarah and Paul, for Chris and Michelle, 
as the called and beloved people of God, we pray for strength for them. As they raise up their children to know the deep love of Jesus that calls us deeper into the suffering of the world rather than running away from it or resisting it at all costs. In baptism, we are drawn into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, into the way of the cross. The wet sign of belonging to him, of that relationship, love, and promises of God. These waters remind us that this way of the cross does not end in death and suffering. They do not have the last word. Because the Son of Man did not turn away from suffering. Because the Son of Man refused to resist suffering and listen to Peter and use his power instead. Because the Son of Man refused to simply pretend at our suffering or the suffering of the world. Life and resurrection and hope have the last word. For the way of the cross leads to an empty tomb. The way of the cross leads to life. For ourselves, for those who suffer, and for the world God loves. For whoever wants to save their life, they will lose it. Oh, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel of grace, they'll save it. Thanks be to God. Let us pray, people of God. Our God who calls us, our God who invites us to follow, we feel small to the task you've given us. <laughs> A little overwhelmed. Ground us in who you are for us. Ground us in your promises. Ground us in your love. And remind us that Jesus has accomplished everything for us. And you invite us to live lives of gratitude, shaped by a cross for your glory. Open our eyes to the suffering around us, next to us, in our church, in our neighborhood, in our communities. And guide us clearly where you are leading each of us to follow you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.